Good evening, hushlings, and welcome. I present your preceptors to the underbelly of the void, the whispers of conjecture, and the known of the unknown. Thus begins the conclave of the Hush Hush Society. has seen John Ketching send dramatic proof of his powers on Geraldo. That's incredible. PM Magazine and local news shows. Now introducing the John Ketching Psychic Connection. Call 1-900-288-6446 to have a one-on-one -on -one live consultation with a psychic personally trained and certified by John Ketching. A psychic with proven abilities. Since 1980, Ketchings has aided law enforcement agencies all over the country in solving over a dozen homicide cases leading to 15 convictions. When you call the John Ketching Psychic Connection, you'll get a live, one-on-one -on -one consultation with specific answers about your future, missing items, or loved ones. And only the John Ketching Psychic Connection sends you an audio cassette of your actual consultation at no additional charge. Call 1-900-288-6446 now for your live and personal consultation. The first minute is free. Uh, your feelings about John Ketchings? He made a believer out of me. I was as skeptic as anybody, I guess. Your personal psychic is standing by. Call 1-900-288-6446 for your live consultation. Greetings, Hushlings. Welcome back to the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. Where we journey into the world of conspiratorial mysteries and dark truths. I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Mystery Mike. And as always, we're joined by our resident spoonbender, Slick Frank Sanders. Mike, Dave, how you guys doing? I hate spoons, so I bend them with my mind. Today we travel back in time to the 1970s to Fort Meade, Maryland, to study the psychic phenomena program that was used in military and domestic intelligence applications, a unit that taught and practiced remote viewing and ESP for intelligence collecting, mostly used for counterintelligence against the Soviets in fear of attacks and events. But before we lay down and enter a hypnotic state, as always, want to remind you of our social medias, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can always find us on there. Shoot us a message. You can also get us on email, contact at hushhushsociety.com. Hushlings, we appreciate you. As of late, we have gotten a lot of reviews and wonderful little messages that you've sent us, and we appreciate that as always. We would hope that you would continue to leave us ratings, send us messages, let us know how we're doing. You can go on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star rating and a little comment. It helps to make our show better and tell us what we're doing right or wrong. You can also do it on our website, Hushlings. Send us a message, post right on the website. You can be a part of the .com, which is our one-stop shop of everything Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. Episodes, blogs, new merchandise coming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not gonna be in time for Valentine's Day, but we'll get you get you going for Mother's Day. We guys, we making a little G strings with Mystery Mike's face on it, cryptid erotica G strings. For people's mothers? Just some hot moms out there. But check out check out the website, hushhushsociety.com. It's amazing. It's huge. And on the website, you can find the link to our Rockfin page. There you can watch all of our podcasts in video, high def. That's right. You can watch our faces. You can watch us talk with our hands when we're explaining things. I like to do that. You might like to see me do that. Who knows? It's a whole nother element to the show that you might not have previously experienced. You might really be into it. Go ahead. Check out the Rockfin page. Hit the subscribe button. Love it up. 
And one more thing, Hushlings, before we get into the episode, thank you for 200,000 downloads for our show. It is beyond anything that we ever could have imagined, so we want to thank you for all your support throughout all the time that we've been doing this. And Hushlings, check out our Patreon if you haven't seen. We have a bunch of extra audio debriefings on there that happen every month. The third Thursday of every month, you get an exclusive debriefing. Also, check out The Frank Factor with Slick Frank Sanders and Declassified Dave doing your modern conspiracy news. Go on over there, $5 a month, and you get all the extras. It's super, super fun. All right, Hushlings, let's get into Project Stargate. The Defense Intelligence Agency, the Stanford Research Institute, the CIA, the U.S. Army, and even portions of NASA developed Project Stargate in Fort Meade, Maryland. All of our best friends came together to do this for you. The program had two purposes, an operational unit that trained and actually performed remote viewing, ESP, telekinesis, even reports of time travel. Then there's the research unit, which collects, analyzes, and articulates the data collected in report form, the pencil pushers. Initially, the project was small in scale, with only roughly 15 to 20 people involved, and eventually grew over the decades. Telekinesis. What was that Pokemon that did that? Oh, the um, Mewtwo. Yeah. Was it Alakazam was the one of them? Yeah, he was the one that would steal your wallet. Between the late 1960s and early 1970s, U.S. intelligence sources concluded that the Soviet Union was engaged in psychotronic research, and the project was launched in response to the CIA's worries about these Soviet investigations of psychic phenomena. The Soviets were allegedly creating super soldiers that could perform incredible tasks. We're talking things like controlling people far away moving objects, knowing the contents of top-secret documents. They could see the movement of troops and high-end officials. They could even cause the instant death of any U.S. official or any other world official at any distance. They could disable U.S. military equipment or spacecraft, create weapons that could generate a stroke or heart attack, something along the lines of the CIA's heart attack gun. They could even see inside of military installations. Hmm, that's some wild stuff there, huh? That's definitely a key component to winning some sort of war, to have some sort of super soldier out of a sci-fi flick that could do all of this crazy stuff. Yeah, and for me, it's very reminiscent of the Montauk Project. A lot of mm. things in there that we spoke about when we did that episode and a lot going on with that project as well. Captain America could never. I mean, he could. Steve no. Rogers, you know, he's... It was reported in the 1970s that the Soviets were spending roughly 60 million rubles per year on the program, increasing the funding to over 300 million rubles by 1975. The amount of money and manpower devoted to Soviet psychotronics seemed to imply that important advancements had occurred, despite the fact that the research was regarded as speculative, controversial, and fringy. So 60 million rubles, that's almost, that's almost $29,000, right? It was 820-something grand. Oh, beautiful. beautiful. But then, if you think about that going from 60 million to 300 million in the course of a couple years, 
they tenfold their money into yeah. this project. Yeah. Well, when you starve half your population, you can afford to up the ante. <laughs> well, these psychics are going to be able to materialize food for the masses, right? So it's kind True. of an no, investment. And on top of starving their population, like, did you know that they actually killed kittens and bunnies in one room and let the mothers of said babies sit in a separate room and hook them up to whatever devices they hooked them up to to see if they sensed pain or sadness? by hearing the murderous screams and screeches of their offspring. Did they? Did they, they sense did. the pain and sadness? I don't think so. No. <laughs> I, I, I don't think that that test worked out. Maybe they just wanted to kill kittens and bunnies. <laughs> Sick fucks. Now, before we move on, let's define remote viewing and ESP. Remote viewing is the practice of seeking impressions about a distant or unseen object, purportedly sensing with the mind. Typically, a remote viewer is expected to give information about an object, event, person, or location that is hidden from physical view and separated by some distance. And ESP is known as extrasensory perception. That's perception or communication outside of normal sensory capability, as in telepathy or clairvoyance. You guys ever think about what you would do if you had ESP? No. No, isn't isn't that the goal like, of what like Firestarter? You never thought about that. I would just hope that every time I had to do it, I had to place my fingers on my temples like this, and red waves came out of my forehead. <laughs> That's all I want out of that. I don't care what it does. I just I just hope it looks cool. You just want CGI effects all the time. Anytime you <laughs> use your brain. Yeah, I want to look like a 1960s comic book character. I would never get out of my seat and just send my cup into the kitchen to refill my coffee. That's kind of a good idea. Hey, you know what I'm saying? I'm I like saying. it. I like it. I like to conserve energy, at least, you know, physical energy. My brain can do all the work. Well, this project went through six different phases before the name Stargate was coined. In 1977, the project was renamed Gondola Wish. And it was an attempt to investigate prospective enemy applications of remote viewing. The SRI research program was merged into Grill Flame in early 1979, and hundreds of remote viewing tests were conducted through 1986. The program was made up of troops and a few civilians who were thought to have varied degrees of inherent psychic abilities. Now, here's the thing first off, really love these names. I'm really enjoying them. They sound gondola wish, grill flame. Just sounds like a fun time. Second off, what is the bar? What's the standard of what they would say somebody, a civilian, has of psychic abilities? How are they finding these civilians that have, quote, psychic abilities? I don't know. They probably sent little mail strips to every U.S. resident with little boxes that they could check off. And if they checked off the boxes correctly, they might have been recruited for this <laughs> this project. I don't know. Shot pamphlets out of planes. Maybe they, they stapled little pull-off phone numbers on telephone poles. <laughs> Call this number if you're a psychic. I am interested, though, on in where they would have gotten these names from. Because Gondola Wish... Yeah. I mean, it yeah. could just be two random words that they were just like, this is good. Nobody's going to figure this out. <laughs> Russell Targ, a physicist and parapsychologist, along with Harold Puthoff, 
carried out this research and were, interestingly enough, Scientologists. Allegedly, many of the SRI empaths were actually Church of Scientology members. Little tidbit about that, in the 2010s, Puthoff co-founded the company to the Stars Academy along with Tom DeLonge. Ah, that's some wild stuff right there. There's a bunch of weird connections going on there. So you got these two guys that were involved in the project, and they just so happen to be Scientologists, which, you know, that's a thing in itself. But then one of them goes on to form to the Stars Academy with Tom DeLong, Which is filled mm. with DOD people. What is yeah. to the Stars Academy? Break that down for the people that might not be aware. Because even I'm not wholly knowledgeable it, on what that is. It's a grift. <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> it's, a, it's a fundraising company. That's essentially what they are. Tom DeLong, he is, you know, former singer of Blink-182, in case you didn't know. He somehow has inside knowledge of all these disclosure events and UFO information, extraterrestrial information. Like Dave says, there's a bunch of DOD, former DOD members that are a part of this organization, but there's a bunch of scientists and physicists that are a part of it. But Really, like they come out with these disclosures and again, don't know why Tom DeLong is a part of it. But from what I've seen, most of their ads and most of what they're doing is fundraising. They're just looking for money. I, I see a lot of things with them and it just comes down to like, make sure that you donate today so that we can continue our project. That money's going to something in particular that they're stating, or it's just ambiguously asking for money? Okay, so it says on their website that they are composed of aerospace science and entertainment divisions. Here's the kicker. They produce books, television programs, films, albums, information, and research. Are we singing Kumbaya to UFOs or something like that? Well, to the Stars Academy probably paid for the new Blink-182 album to be produced. <laughs> Could have been. They've think they've made like over $40 million since they started in 2017 or something like that. And I still can't see how they're helping ufology or a lot of that disclosure comes from Lou Elizondo and a lot of other people in Senate hearings. And Christopher Mellon, I think he's another DOD member that's on it. But I don't know. That's a strange connection. Now, a lot of this stuff with Stargate has to do with the U.S. Army's research and the CIA's research, which combined sometimes, but also went on their own tangents and their own projects, their own funding. We're going to go through a few people that have either worked in the CIA portion strictly or the Army portion. You don't really need to go down that rabbit hole of who did what. It's all Project Stargate. So one of the guys that really pushed himself into this research was a psychic named Ingo Swan. And he proposed a study to Targ and Puthoff. At first, they were hesitant, but they eventually agreed. And on the evening of April 27th in 1973, Targ and Puthoff recorded Swan's remote viewing session of the planet Jupiter and Jupiter's moons. Now, this is all prior to NASA's Voyager probe that went there in 1979. And according to Swan, his ability allowed him to remotely view the surface of Jupiter within three and a half minutes of starting the session. 
During the session, he made several reports on the physical features of the planet, such as its atmosphere and the surface of its core. How did they fact check that? You can't. You just got to take his word for it. That's pretty much it. They should have hooked him up to one of those lie detector polygraphs. But even then, if you're smart enough, you can figure out how to bypass those if you know what you're doing. Just remain calm. Yeah. And if you're a psychic, you could probably slow down your heart rate. But Swan claimed to see bands of crystals in the atmosphere of Jupiter, which he compared to clouds here on Earth or something similar to the rings of Saturn. He also claimed to see other spectacles, such as secret bases on Jupiter's moons, as well as on Earth's moon. Did you know, guys know Jupiter has like 67 moons? What? Space isn't real. <laughs> that's that's a made-up number. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a really interesting comparison. Look, they look like the rings of Saturn or clouds. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it's like completely two opposite things right there. But he was viewing it with his his dome piece. Another big character in the Project Stargate story is Pat Price. He's a Scientologist and former police officer who specialized in working with maps and photographs provided to him by the CIA. And in 1976, he claimed to have been able to retrieve information from military installations behind Soviet lines. He is probably best known for his sketches of cranes and gantries, which appeared to conform to actual CIA intelligence photographs, as well as locations and contents of said military installations, which actually turned out to be a Soviet nuclear testing area of Semipalatinsk. Sorry, Russia. I fucked that up. And possible other underground nuclear testing sites. He's also said to have located extraterrestrial bases all over the globe. A few years later, the FBI raided the L.A. Office of Scientology. Later, he mysteriously died in a Las Vegas hotel room. And interestingly enough, a stranger in a hat gave the doctors in the ER Price's full medical record. And he was cremated before any autopsy was performed. Could he have been killed by the CIA or maybe even the KGB? It was the Israelis. Cancelled. Palestine. (laughs) That's super sus. Apparently his family was in the vicinity of Las Vegas and they were visiting him and he had chest pains and was like, oh, I don't feel very good. Now, mind you, I think this guy like ate Domino's every day and Whopper Jr. and stuff (laughs) like that. I think he was a larger gentleman with in pretty poor health, but I think he thought he was having a heart attack, went to the hospital. They sent him home. And then ended up finding him keeled over dead in his hotel room. Heart attack gun. Looking like that. Looking like that. Kind of wild that they raided the Office of Scientology. What were they hoping to find there? I mean, this was started by Stanford Research Institute. I don't know how many Scientologists are a part of Stanford, but there were Scientologists that started the, the actual research on this. I wonder if L. Ron Hubbard was right about all these distant planets and wild Scientology stuff. Maybe some of those remote viewers that were also Scientologists were onto something. Well, I think that correlates directly with this, yeah. Individuals like Swan found people who appeared to be gifted and taught them to use their abilities for psychological warfare. 
flashcards were initially used, which the viewers had to hit a minimal accuracy of 65%, essentially guessing. And if they were over 65% accurate, they were coined to be some sort of psychic. And proponents of this say that their accuracy level was frequently and routinely exceeded in the final phases of their training. That's how they did it, Frank. Guess who? They They were playing guess who. (laughs) (laughs) The government just sent agents door to door with cards. And they would ring the doorbell. Door opens. Hey, how can I help you? What's on this card? What? Just tell me what's on this card. Uh, 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 A bird. Yeah, whatever. Close your door. Can you imagine if that's how (laughs) Jehovah's Witnesses did it? (laughs) Well, maybe they got five tries, right? Because they had the 65% accuracy, so they would give them a couple of tries, and if they hit like three out of five, bang, you're in. Come with me. Do you want to save the planet or not? (laughs) The program was later redesignated as INSCOM Center Lane Project, or ICLP, in 1983. Ingo Swan and Harold Puthoff and SRI developed a brand new set of instructions, which theoretically allowed Anyone, it answers your question, Mike, anyone that obtained a pamphlet, to be trained to produce accurate and detailed target data. They used this new collection methodology against a wide range of operational and training targets. That's interesting. Just watching Saddam take a shit. They went from trying to seek out people that were naturally gifted or naturally psychic to developing some sort of training that would allow anybody to be able to remote view or to have psychic abilities. Would that mean that human beings inherently actually have psychic abilities? Well, if you pay attention to a lot of CIA documents that have been released over the years, a lot of that alludes to that, that our minds are able to do a lot of things just based on the fact that we are human And that a lot of those techniques and psychic things, even remote viewing, uh, astral projection, all of that is within our capabilities. It's just our lack of knowledge on how to perform it. The suppression of information. They're trying to hide who we really are and how special we really are. They're trying to hide it. (laughs) It's a spiritual war. Participants who demonstrated psychic abilities used at least three different techniques. The first one would be coordinate remote viewing, or CRV. That's the original SRI-developed technique in which viewers were asked what they saw at specified geographical locations. There was also extended remote viewing, or ERV, which was a hybrid of relaxation and meditative-based methodology. And lastly, there was written remote viewing, or WRV, which was a hybrid of both channeling and automatic writing, which was introduced in 1988, though it proved controversial and was regarded by some as much less reliable. Now that's someone remote viewing and someone actually writing, someone else, a third party, writing down what that remote viewer sees? That makes sense. I can see where that's unreliable because it's a you have an extra component there. Yeah, it's remote viewing mixed with the game telephone, kind of. I wonder how they would choose which methods to do. Does it a certain skill level of a certain empath or 
a certain type of person. Maybe just would develop naturally. Let's talk a little bit about the U.S. Army's involvement in this. There is Major General Albert Stubblebine. Great name. And he is a primary funder of the research that was done at Fort Meade, Maryland, and was convinced of the reality behind a wide range of psychic occurrences, as he should if he's going to be funding it. Imagine just not believing in it at all and just being like, eh, take some money. Isn't that like the uh, the brother at uh, Oak Island? The, the mailman brother or the funding brother? <laughs> the funding one of, brother. The yeah, one funda- that... funding his mailman brother's dream. Yeah. He, he comes up, he goes, I found a penny from the 1800s. Only five million more dollars to fund this. If you don't find anything else, we're done. Fucking $900 million later, they're still on Oak Island and they found like 10 things. <laughs> they have a little box of curiosities that they keep in their apartment. Yeah. This has runes on it. Yeah, exactly. The runes and the rocks. They're telling me something. <laughs> Weren't they supposed to find like a pit full of money or something? Here's my thing with Oak Island, right? In the intro to the show, they're like, prophecies say that eight people need to die to find this treasure and seven have already perished. So it's like, why are they spending all this money? They could probably just sacrifice the last just person. They drop need. somebody in the hole. <laughs> Push the broke brother in. <laughs> <laughs> what a twist. Now, Albert Stubblebine was in charge of the United States Army's Intelligence and Security Command in the early 1980s, which was INSCOM. He made all of his unit commanders learn how to bend spoons, kind of like Yuri Geller, who was an Israeli psychic, who attempted various psychic feats, including walking through walls. That's pretty impressive. Imagine if he actually was able to walk through walls. That is pretty impressive, and that's something that you haven't really heard about when it comes to remote viewing or psychic abilities. I guess that might be under the category of telekinesis, maybe moving things with your mind. Maybe you can move the molecules of a wall. It's teleporting. Yeah, Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But being able to go through solid objects. One of the remote viewers is Joe McMonagall. These guys have great names. He's retired Special Project Intelligence. He's an officer for the SSPD, SSD, and 902D MI group. A lot of different things going on there. And he claims to have left Stargate in 1984 with a Legion of Merit Award for providing information on 150 targets that were unavailable from other sources. So this guy was like number one. He was the man. He was like, yeah, he was the number one. I think he was referred to as remote viewer number one. Oh, wow. So they even gave him the title of remote viewer number one. I'd really like to figure out what a a Legion of Merit award is. Joe remotely viewed a large Soviet submarine with 18 to 20 missile launch tubes and a large flat area at the aft end. And that would be launched in 100 days. It was given kind of a premonition and a viewing. In reality, there were two subs, one with 24 launch tubes and the other with 20 launch tubes and a large flat aft deck. Sounds familiar. They were reportedly sighted in the water. To answer your question about the Legion of Merit, it's given out to people who have exceptional conduct in performance of outstanding services and achievements. I'd say so if he 
you know, gave information on 150 targets. Yeah, and I believe every branch uses it. This is when things get strange. There was a mission that supposedly viewed the planet Mars in the year 1 million BC. On May 22nd of 1984, McMoneagle went back in time to talk to Martians because the CIA had time-traveling, spacefaring psychics. The document we're about to present is titled Mars Exploration. Joe was sat down in a dark room and given an envelope. He didn't know the contents of this envelope until the session had concluded, and we're going to go over some of the segments from this nine-page transcript. This transcript is uh, easily and readily found on the internet, so if you're interested in reading the entire conversation that this man had with his handler, then check it out. But this is rather interesting. As Frank said, there is a monitor and a subject. So the monitor says, ROJ for 522, May 22nd, time 10.09 a.m. Continues, plus 10 minutes, ready to start. All right now, using the information in the envelope I've provided, exclusively focusing your attention now, using the information in the envelope, focus on 40.89 degrees north, 9.55 degrees west. McMonagall says, I want to say it looks like, uh, I don't know. It sort of looks, I kind of got an oblique view of uh, a pyramid or pyramid form. It's very high and it's kind of sitting on a large depressed area. Monitor continues. All right. McMonagall says, it's yellowish, uh, okra colored. I thought okra was green. I thought okra was green too. Mm. Maybe ochre? Ochre? Is ochre? Ochre yellow? This session that's being recorded is one of those sessions where they're trying to give him coordinates to something specific. So that would be that first uh, type of remote viewing that we were talking about where you're given coordinates and you want to see a specific area. Shortly during the session, the viewer came upon what looked to be local life, a tall, slender individual dressed oddly. The monitor pressed on, understandably intrigued by the potential of psychic first contact. How wild, wild stuff. McMonagall says, I'm seeing, uh, it's like a perception of a shadow of people, very tall, thin. It's only a shadow. It's as if they were there and they're not, not there anymore. The monitor says, go back to a period of time when they were there. So now he's traveling through time. McMonagall says, um, it's like I get a lot of static on a line and everything. It's breaking up all the time. Very fragmentary pieces. Monitor goes on to say, just report the raw data. Don't try to put things together. Just report the raw data. McMonagall says, I just keep seeing very large people. They appear thin and tall, but they're very large, uh, wearing some kind of strange clothes. So is he talking about Pleiadians? They sound like the aliens from the end of the movie Mission to Mars. They were like 20, 30 foot tall, weird yeah, beings. Yeah, the big ones. Yeah. 
At this time, the monitor decided to entirely ditch the initial purpose of the session, which was detecting old rocks, and instead they would go on to investigate this habitat of an ancient extraterrestrial race. The monitor continues to say, Okay, do these pyramids have insides and outsides? McMonagle says, Mm-hmm, got both, and they're huge. It's really, uh, it's an interesting perception I'm getting. The monitor notes, I think that he's losing his ability to move accurately, but he is attracted to things that are interesting, so we're going to go with his own. We're going to let him go ahead and explore what seems to be interesting to him rather than move on the targets indicated here. So meaning the targets that they predetermined that he would be looking at. Mm -hmm. That's got to be really wild to have predetermined things that you know you're going to find, and this guy finds different things. Here's my question. I am curious. In 1984, did we have a coordinate system established for Mars? Have we established axes on that planet to where we can get coordinates on Mars? Did we mm. have that? Unless he wasn't giving them coordinates to Mars. He was giving them coordinates to some other country or something, and he just so happened to see something else. <laughs> he just happened to teleport to Mars in his head. That's an issue that I have with a lot of these remote viewing sessions, is there is no way to verify what they are actually seeing. Like, you could talk about that remote viewer number one, where he saw a Russian sub and you know, described what it looked like, where it was going to be, all this other stuff. Okay, that's verifiable. Then you start to see, okay, that actually happened or, you know, close enough, I guess. But with something like this where they're given coordinates and then they see something that they're not supposed to see or they're not seeing what they're told to see, you can't really verify that. How do you know that this guy who is being monitored during this McMonagall isn't just making this up in his head saying, oh, well, you know, they're going to see my bullshit meter at this point. They're going to go off on the bullshit meter and know that I'm full of shit and I can't see where they want me to see. So what do I do? Just make up something and tell them that I'm seeing fucking aliens. It sounds like so much of a waste of time to do that, though. He's obviously getting paid by the government. That's his job, essentially. If that's his job, are you going to go and say, well, I don't see anything. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not able to do that. Or do you go and you make something else up that's wild and extravagant and hope that they take the bait on that where it's something that they can't verify, but they find it super interesting. Or it's not a waste of time if, say, he is a Russian agent or something of that nature in the U.S. to throw them off of some sort of path that they initially might have had. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is very interesting. If the Russians were doing this years and years ago and they were dropping millions of dollars, well, millions of rubles into this project... How do we know that they weren't getting reproducible results and taking those subjects and planting them in America as, okay, we know that the Americans are doing the same thing. They're looking for psychics. They're looking for remote viewers. We'll send so-and-so here as a diversion or as a spy, figure out what they're trying to see. They gave me these coordinates, so they're trying to see this. 
that would be plausible. I think it's really plausible when it boils down to Soviet Russia versus the United States during these times between the 70s, 80s. That's a hotbed time for them. Mm. I mean, of course, it's not like Cold War, but as we know, the Cold War never really ended. It didn't realistically in soviet russia we view you right (laughs) (laughs) to answer your question they probably had these coordinates mapped out because mariner 9 was launched and orbited mars in 1971 one thing we could probably do or if you're listening to this if you have google earth there is google mars tab punch in those coordinates and see what shows up i'm very interested i think i might do it later just one more thing that i was curious about i just researched it i just looked it up If they were looking for coordinates on Earth, why didn't they just use satellites? The militarization of satellites started in the 50s, and here we are in, what, the early 80s? Why couldn't they just use satellites to get an eye on these coordinates? That could be said of any of those missions. Why have remote viewers if we could just have satellites? But then you have to get into how closely and when did enemy airspace start being monitored? Probably well before world war ii i mean even with like airships and balloons and stuff put a camera on a balloon like the chinese spy balloon chinese spy balloon yeah yeah all right a couple more excerpts from this transcript where it gets pretty pretty interesting mcmonicle goes on to say these pyramidal structures they're like shelters from storms the monitor says these structures you're seeing He goes, yes, they're designed for that. All right, go inside one of these and find activity to tell me about. Now, 37 minutes of real time have elapsed. McMonagall continues after these 37 minutes and says different chambers, but they're almost stripped of any kind of furnishings or anything. It's like a strictly functional place for sleeping, or that's not a good word. Hibernations, some form. I can't, I can't get a real raw inputs, storms, savage storm, and sleeping through storms. The monitor then goes on to say, tell me about the ones who sleep through the storms. McMonagall says, uh, very tall, again, very large people, but they're thin. They look thin because of their height, and they dress like in... Oh, hell, it's like a real light silk, but it's not flowing type of clothing. It's like cut to fit. What are we at, Planet Fitness? Is it John Reed's alien and Mithril? Is it Nazis in latex suits? (laughs) (laughs) It's BDSM Nazis. After this, the monitor asked the viewer to get closer to the being, and he stated, move close to one of them and ask them to tell you about themselves. McMonagall replied, they're ancient people. They're, uh, they're dying. It's past their time or age. The monitor said, tell me about this. McMonagall says, they're very philosophic about it. They're looking for a, a way to survive and they just can't. The first thing that comes to my mind is this is in the past and we're talking about large humanoid figures. Are these the Nephilim? Of legends. Living on Mars? In pyramids? Aliens? One million BC? 
By this time, the program had conducted several hundred intelligence collection projects, conducting thousands of remote viewing sessions. Notable successes were said to be, quote, eight martini results, that they had to call it that because the remote viewing data was so mind-boggling that everyone had to go out and drink eight martinis to recover. Sounds like a good Friday afternoon. Dude, you're wasted after that. (laughs) Hushlings will return after this short message. Good day, Hushlings. Join ye merry men in a mystery of gruesome and bloody nature. As we travel back to 1888 in the streets of London's east end of Whitechapel. Over four years, a dozen murders occurred, but only five of them were linked to a single murderer. The infamous Canonical Five. Over 2,000 people were originally questioned with the eye focused on butchers, slaughterers, surgeons, and physicians due to the manner of the mutilations. The killer even taunted the police with letters and even received a partial human kidney, which was most likely from one of the victims. Despite numerous investigations and finger-pointing, the true identity of this serial killer has never been determined. On Monday, February 27th, we peer through the monocle in Debriefing 68 to find out who is Jack the Ripper. Hushlings, we'd like to let you know that Rockfin is officially the home of the new Hush Hush Society video content. It is the exclusive home to all of our debriefings, declassified discussions, and all of our video content. It's very easy to go over there, rockfin.com forward slash Hush Hush Society, and you can subscribe to our channel. And be sure to check out our website, the one-stop shop for everything Hush-related. There you can find all of our blogs, our audio debriefings, links to our merch, as well as all of our social media links. Lastly, if you love our show and want to support us in becoming a better podcast, look us up on Patreon. We've got a ton of exclusive content over there for only $5 a month. That's www.patreon.com forward slash hush hush society. And as always, Hushlings, we would welcome you to leave us a rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere that you're able to leave us a rating, including our website. Welcome back to the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. We list some of the reported intelligence gathering successes, which include the following. A remote viewer was tasked to locate a Soviet Tu-95 bomber, which had crashed somewhere in Africa which he allegedly did within several miles of the actual wreckage. Another assignment included trying to hunt down Gaddafi before the 1986 bombing of Libya. Gaddafi got out, was not injured. Also, in February 1988, the DIA asked where Marine Corps Colonel William Higgins was being held in Lebanon. A remote viewer stated that Higgins was in a specific building in a specific South Lebanese village and... A released hostage later said to have claimed that Higgins had probably been in that building the entire time. Makes you raise an eyebrow. What's going on here? Is there validity? In January of 1989, the Department of Defense was said to have asked about Libyan chemical weapons work. A remote viewer reported that a ship named either Patua or Potua would sail from Tripoli to transport chemicals to an eastern Libyan port. Reportedly, a ship named Batatau 
loaded an undetermined cargo in Tripoli and brought it to an eastern Libyan port. Pretty close. Some wild stuff right there. See, at least these things you can verify. That's what I was talking about before. Allegedly, a remote viewer saw that a KJB colonel caught spying in South Africa had been smuggling information using a pocket calculator containing a communications device. It said that questioning along these lines by South African intelligence led the spy to cooperate. Wow. Yeah, they told him that we got you. Like, we know who you are. And he's like, all right, you got me. Here's my calculator. You know, Pull out that T9. <laughs> We've oh seen God. what you've been doing with your calculators. He turns it over. It just says boobies. And this whole, like, looking through walls thing just keeps reminding me of Porky's. He's just a bunch of perverts. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be real. It, remote viewing and uh, psychic abilities of the such would totally be used like this. By perverts, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You don't need a glory hole. You got, just do it from your pineal gland. You're all good to go. <laughs> the glory hole to the universe. Yeah, <laughs> that's the pineal gland. The glory hole to the universe. <laughs> <laughs> Uncalcify yourself. That's a new hush hush shirt. Yeah. <laughs> I uncalcified myself through the glory hole of the universe. It's just going to be somebody, you know, meditating like, <laughs> the whole aura. And just in the middle of their head is just a hole that looks at a dick <laughs> with like duct tape around it. Uh, just <laughs> <laughs> it says for a good time, arrow. <laughs> Yo, we're making that shirt. Perfect. Yeah. You heard it. It has to happen. During the Gulf War, remote viewers were reported to have suggested the whereabouts of Iraq's Saddam Hussein, though there was never an independent verification of this finding. Half success. Remote viewers were also said to have helped find Scud missiles and secret biological and chemical warfare projects. They also located and identified the purposes of tunnels and extensive underground facilities. A little bit more about Saddam Hussein's portion of Stargate Project. The supposed weapons of mass destruction that Saddam Hussein possessed was one of the major justifications for President George W. Bush to invade Iraq in 2003. But, alas, no weapons were actually ever discovered. According to Dr. Michael E. Sala, the real reason Bush and Tony Blair of the United Kingdom invaded Iraq was to uncover and activate a Stargate which was likely hidden under the dark ziggurat of Enzu, which was once the hideout of infamous Sumerian sorcerer Gamil Ishbi. According to a 2003 paper by Dr. Sala, titled Exopolitical Perspective on the Preemptive War Against Iraq, there is proof of long-standing extraterrestrial presences in Iraq that date back to the ancient Sumerian civilization. The Felim, Anunnaki, I mean, one and the same, kind of, mm -hmm. maybe? The Elohim. The Elohim. That's an interesting one. Dr. Salas cites historian Zachariah Sitchin to name a group of about 200 extraterrestrials known as the Nephilim, as we just mentioned, who rose up against their rulers in the Iraq-Iran region. Salah also mentions the Elohim again, as we just mentioned, as being the ones who interacted with and perhaps even created an early civilization on Earth. And Mars. And Mars. 
That's where our slave labor is. <laughs> Mars is where iPhones are made. These aliens, generally known as the Anunnaki, are from Nibiru, the most mysterious alleged planet in our solar system. Where is it? Nibiru's orbit is so elliptical around the sun that it only passes through Jupiter's orbit once every 3,600 years. Planet X. Yeah, we have some people in our Facebook group that are very into Nibiru. Very, very into it. What's interesting about Nibiru is that every 3,600 years, triple that or so, 12,800 years, kind of that Young Adrias thing. Could Nibiru have brought some rocks or comets with it? Or was it them themselves, the Anunnaki, who just launched Scud missiles at the North American continent? American officials were worried that Saddam Hussein would have used the Stargate to go to Nibiru and acquire extraterrestrial weapons, as well as potential Anunnaki allies. Interesting. To prevent a battle between the planets, they invented a false proof to invade Iraq. Dr. Sala is quoted, I think it was a large part of the reason why the Bush administration went to Iraq to stop Saddam Hussein from releasing his information and also to get control themselves, end quote. Now, this is really interesting, too, because you have the Kandahar Giants. Was that in Afghanistan? But still similar. similar yeah, region. same region. Same region. Yeah. Yep. And it's interesting also that as we're talking about Project Stargate and the name changes, we're speaking about Iraq and Stargates becoming actual physical things that we are looking for. Do you think that the name change correlates to maybe a new mission? Maybe these remote viewing sessions turned into now we're looking for these physical Stargates? Or maybe we accidentally came across a vision of an actual Stargate in the Middle East and that was what spawned a new mission for the project? Yes. It's, it doesn't sound far off. It was militarized from the get. So having some involvement with Project Stargate or what was Grillflame or Gondola-ish, whatever it was at any point, it was always for military purposes. So to see that being implemented into the Middle East, it doesn't seem unreasonable. Imagine if it did happen that way. Just remote viewers were looking for strategic, militaristic spots for us to attack or for us to look out for. And then all of a sudden, they just get this vision of just portal in the middle of the desert. And that just becomes our new mission. One of you guys had mentioned CERN in a conversation previously mm. with this as yeah. well. Yeah, the talk that CERN their whole mission might be something along the lines of some sort of Stargate. I guess you could say in a sense. Hmm. Maybe not the traditional Stargate that we might think of. There's a lot of different adaptations and thoughts about what a physical Stargate could be or where it could bring you or what it does. Traditionally, it's thought to be some sort of portal that can get you from one place to another, whether that be one country to another country, one planet to another planet, from the surface of the Earth into the hollow Earth. Maybe CERN is doing some sort of interdimensional Stargate sort of thing with all of their proton collision, atom collisions, whatever it is they're doing in there, some evil shit. I don't know. I was also thinking 
maybe they're putting off some sort of energy that's making it easier to find these portals or for these portals to all of a sudden show themselves is you're putting off this energy across the world. It's worldwide. It's radiating throughout the planet. Maybe this energy or this radiation, whatever you want to call it, is coming off of these colliding particles. And that in itself is kind of revealing these portals to us. Maybe that's what's happening with our increased UFO sightings, cryptid sightings, a lot of weird things going on as we're talking about the atmosphere, a lot of sightings in the sky. And everybody attributes that to the start of the CERN Collider. It could all go hand in hand, really. Never know. Before we move on, I saw one crazy theory about physical stargates and their relation to the Anunnaki and how the Anunnaki pretty much seeded and formed human civilization. There's some people out there that think that the Anunnaki created human life as we know it. They seeded our planet with what came to be humans, and then they left. They waited thousands of years. They're still waiting. Our population is still growing. The ant farm is still making new humans as we're going. And maybe they did that because they were trying to grow some sort of army, some sort of army of little human soldiers. Right now, as it is, we're sitting at about a population of 8 billion people on the planet Earth. So the thought process to the theory is that these stargates would be used to get that population of billions and billions of people to wherever else it is that they might have some sort of battlefield on. Instead of packing us all up into ships and going light years away to some other galaxy, they implanted the stargates on every continent in various places so that they can shove us into them and we will just come right out on the other end in some sort of intergalactic battlefield. So like Avengers Endgame? Yeah, yeah. Avengers Endgame with the Anunnaki. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a bunch of humans that have no fucking clue what's going on. <laughs> what? what? Fuck. We have M4s and we're just getting vaporized by thought beams. <laughs> getting fucking lasered. In 1991, Nibiru allegedly came through the outer solar system and Anunnaki once again visited the Earth. However, an Anunnaki saucer was accidentally shot down by the U.S. Air Force during the first Gulf War. Dr. Saleh claims that while Hussein controlled the search for the Stargate in southern Iraq, the Germans were excavating the Sumerian city of Uruk, and the U.S. monitored the entire area from the sky. Goddamn Germans. Everywhere. Maybe that's how they got off world. With Stargate technology. The Nazis? Could be. Or how they got Hitler to Argentina so fast. Might not have been a U-boat. They just went bloop, shot him over there. Well, who's to say a U-boat didn't go through the Stargate? It still could have been in a U-boat. Shortly after Bush invaded Iraq in 2003, the question is, was Operation Iraqi Freedom the culmination of the search for the Stargate? And did the U.S. and its allies ever find and remove the Stargate? The answer to that question is unknown, and it's highly unlikely that we'll ever be able to confirm the existence of a Stargate to Nibiru, or anywhere else for that matter, when the cover-up could be on such an interplanetary scale. We could crowdfund it. Let's yeah. go. Let's go. We'll find a Stargate real quick. 
They already gave us the plans with SG1 in Atlantis. We're ready. There See? you go. That's what I'm saying. We know where to go. We'll go to Iraq. Unfortunately, all good things come to an end. The program was changed to Dragoon Absorbed when the Army funding ended in late 1985. The unit was redesignated to Sunstreak and transferred to DIA's Scientific and Technical Intelligence Directorate, and in 1991 was renamed Stargate. In 1995, the Defense Appropriations Bill directed that the Stargate program be transferred fully to the CIA, of course, with the CIA instructed to conduct a retrospective review of the program. The American Institutes for Research was contracted by the CIA to evaluate the program, and their final report was released to the public on November 28th of 1995. But suspiciously, it was supposed to be fully disclosed in 1989. So they were a little late. Yeah, they, the project was supposed to end six years prior, hmm. and they just didn't say anything, which is a CIA move. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's definitely some alphabet soup move. And just like the FBI on 9-11, they uh, looked into themselves. <laughs> they weren't involved. It is it, The timing is kind of funny because if you look at it, the name was changed to Stargate in 91. It was supposed to end in 89. First Gulf War. Yeah, as we were just talking about. It correlates that name change along with what was going on at the time, and then the extension of the program another six years or another five years. I truly believe they may have found something in the desert. The final recommendation by the Army Institutes for Research was to terminate the Stargate effort. The CIA concluded that there was no case in which ESP had provided data used to guide intelligence operations and was terminated and declassified in 1995 after the CIA report concluded that it was never useful in any intelligence operation. It's false. That's false. They're lying. Just to take a step back, uh, it is kind of interesting that 1991, the name is changed to Stargate following the Gulf War. And then in 1994, the movie Stargate is released. And where do they find a Stargate? In the middle the of desert. the desert. In Egypt. And there's pyramids. Hey. hey, I'm saying, I'm saying. Even though the CIA claimed that the program was entirely useless and proved no results, over a period of more than two decades, they dumped some $20 million into Project Stargate and other related activities, with $11 million budgeted from the mid-1980s into the early 90s. Over 40 personnel served in the program over the years, including 23 remote viewers. We should reach out to one of these remote viewers, see if we can find them. I know. Get them on the show. At its peak during the mid-1980s, the program included as many as seven full-time viewers and many analytical and support personnel. Three psychics also reportedly worked at Fort Meade for the CIA from 1990 through July of 1995, around the time that the program ended. It was obtained by the CIA. You think that this program's likely still active and they just changed the name again? When it comes to the remote viewing part of it, I don't think that that's still active. Mostly because 
we do have advanced technology through either satellite imagery or drones or the technology that we have to be able to look at other countries and look at certain spots. I think we're well within the technological advances to do that ourselves. But if at some point it did turn into a completely different project that was focused on these physical stargates and finding these things and utilizing them or studying them, absolutely it's still going on and absolutely they are still working on that. I would kind of hope so from a security standpoint, while yeah, we have the technology that's more reliable than remote viewers, what in the event of an EMP, if there is any validity to remote viewers for homeland security sort situations, if all of our electronics are wiped out, remote viewers might actually be really valuable to the military and to the security of our country. Now, Hushlings, you can view all of the Project Stargate, Sunstreak, Gondolwish, Grillmaster Flame on the Freedom of Information Act website, and you can sift through about 600 pages of a PDF. Or you can get real spicy and view 89,901 pages within 12,301 zip files on theblackvault.com. If you undertake that, please reach out to us because we want to talk to you and about your possible mental health issues. And if you're going to do it, <laughs> vlog the entire thing. Do you understand the yarn wall that you would have after that? <laughs> yeah. Hulshling's an interesting connection. Uh, we found it incredibly titillating, and we think you will too. Dr. Courtney Brown and Prudence Calabrese. Two citizen remote watchers were asked to investigate an item in a picture near the Hale-Bopp comet. They predicted it was an extraterrestrial spaceship on its way to Earth. People who already believed in aliens, on the other hand, were ecstatic. Brown and Calabrese's phones were constantly ringing with individuals who wanted to collaborate with them. Do you think these people were actually seeing, like, Oumuamua or something like that? And that was the the spaceship, even though they were talking about Hale-Bopp. Could have been some sort of space junk. A group of strong believers who called themselves Heaven's Gate were in an actual cult who actually believed that this spacecraft would pass the Earth when Hale-Bopp Comet went by, and they were all convinced that they were going to be taken away. And the only way... To avoid this was to commit suicide, allowing their spirit to float into space and board the extraterrestrial spacecraft. Now, when this didn't happen and Heaven's Gate were found wearing their Nike decades in San Diego, California, Brown and Calabrese's character was actually destroyed because they were wrong. And it signaled that the CIA should just stop relying on psychics for answers altogether. However, following the 9-11 attacks in New York City, the FBI returned to Brown and Calabrese for any prospective intelligence on the location of the perpetrators. They proceeded to forecast further assaults, but none of them ever actually happened, and they once again lost their credibility. It's tough, man, you know? 
Like when you're given the CIA answers, you know, the suspect is in the room. Who did 9-11? I sense that they're sitting at the table with us. They just didn't like the answers. Yeah. Oh, so they drop him out of a window. You know too much. I mean, you're wrong. Moving forward in 1953, a gentleman named Frank Olson worked as a CIA covert operative. His family was stunned to find that he had leapt out of a window while on a business trip. He displayed no indications of despair, and it made absolutely no sense as to why he would choose to commit suicide. They were told that he was participating in a covert government project involving LSD and that he couldn't handle the drugs in his system. Sounds familiar. He went insane and leapt out the 13th floor window of the Pennsylvania Hotel in New York City. Side note, is it true that hotels don't have 13th floors? I've heard something about that, but I couldn't. Or they make them like admin floors or something? That's so bizarre. Because Hard Rock Hotel here has 12 floors. Well, even beyond that, say a building that has 16 floors, there is no button for a 13th floor. Yeah. I think it's just just like a superstitious thing that architects do. Maybe it has to do with this uh, Frank Olson uh, situation that happened. No more 13th floor. The CIA openly confirmed their use of psychedelic chemicals in their studies a few years after his death, and the initial autopsy report, which of course was supplied by the CIA, reported that he had wounds and abrasions on his body as a result of the fall, not that he was beat up prior and dropped out of the window. Now, Frank's son, Eric Olson, grew pretty suspicious, and he questioned several of his father's CIA associates, and that they did not really know the genuine cause of his father's death. So, like a freak, he made the decision to exhume his father's body out of the ground. Is that even legal? Talk about digging up the truth. The second autopsy, which was undertaken by the George Washington University Law Center, had an entirely different conclusion from the one that was reported by the CIA. Shocker. It revealed blunt impact injuries to the head with no scrapes or lacerations, like they said. If you were a CIA agent, what blunt object are you grabbing first to bonk somebody? A lamp. (laughs) Lamp. All day. Yeah, a candelabra. The butt end of a heart attack gun. (laughs) The son, Eric Olson, now firmly believes that his father was a part of the MKUltra, as well as the Project Stargate initiatives. He feels his father was murdered in order to silence him. Olson conducted a news conference in front of his yard following the autopsy. The story of Frank Olson has been investigated in multiple documentaries, including the Unsolved Mysteries TV series, the Netflix docuseries Wormwood, and more. If you've never seen Wormwood, check it out. Very interesting. His story also inspired a suicide written into the script of The Men Who Stare at Goats. But in the movie, it was a catalyst to end the psychic project rather than spur on more funding. Yeah, The Men Who Stare at Goats has a lot to do with... Project started. And just to let you guys know, I just looked it up. Hotels and the 13th floor. They do not have the 13th floor to accommodate a certain group of people. Triscodecophobias. 
oh. who are people that are afraid of the number 13. That's weird. And also the many people that find the number 13 unlucky and will not stay on the 13th floor. It's a wild thing. Imagine an entire industry just catering to this small group of people. Anyways, sorry to get off track. Let's talk about somebody who was found out to be in a complete fraud, and we've mentioned him many times before, and we're sorry. Mr. Corey Good. And he is not mentioned in this project, but he is known for remote viewing. He claims to have met aliens. In his telling, Good was hired as an empath when he was six years old to join a group called the Secret Space Program. He was on a 20-year contract dubbed 20 and Back, in which he met friendly blue avians. Little bluebirds. The liar and fraud claims that he has a close connection with the aliens, saying on his website he's a member of the Blue Avian Soul Group, who was brought to Earth to help with planetary ascension. He is now being noted as a fraud for the Secret Space Program claims and has a lawsuit against Gaia Incorporated about taking his intellectual property since there was a deposition that was leaked publicly where he states that he never physically went to space but he did go to space in his mind shifty isn't that where most things happen in your mind oh boy so he never he never physically went to space no no he's full of it so does that completely turn all of the secret space program evidence into N bullshit no, because he wasn't the sole point of reference for that entire program. There's a lot of documents to back that up also where certain galactic admirals are listed and mm. crazy stuff like that. He played a very small role in that. He was more the biggest proponent for like the MyLab program in 20 and back, which brings into question a lot of those things, even though there's other proponents of it and there's other sources for it, him coming forward and saying that and being the biggest point kind of brings into question the rest of it, which I hate to say Corey Good kind of hurt the ufology community also in doing that. All right, Hushlings, let's get into the Reddit section. Very interesting stuff. Let's see what our Redditors had to say. A Wired article was posted in the subreddit Conspiracy and was written by Spencer Ackerman on January 3rd of 2012. It's titled, White House Denies CIA Teleported Obama to Mars, a pair of self-proclaimed time travelers who swear they traversed time and space at the government's behest. A portion of this article reads, the truth about Barack Obama's past not lies in East Africa, but lies in outer space. As a young man in the early 1980s, Obama was a part of a secret CIA project to explore Mars. The future president teleported there, along with the future head of DARPA. That's the assertion, at least. A pair of self-proclaimed, time-traveling, universe-exploring government agents. Andrew D. Basiago and William Stillings insist they once served as chrononauts at DARPA's behest, traversing the boundaries of time and space. They swear they saw a youthful Barack Obama was among them. I do not. Smoking weed, you know. It wasn't me in that, that college dorm. Isn't that Bill Clinton? They sound the same. <laughs> My wife is not a man. <laughs> me and Michael, I mean, 
<laughs> Michelle, my children are not robots. According to Basiago and Stillings, Obama isn't only lying about his identity, he's lying about his military service record too. While his political opponents in 2008 attacked him for never serving, in truth, he was concealing his participation in a hidden CIA intergalactic program hosted at a California community college in 1980. Oh, Reddit. You never uh, I would love for Paranoid American to make a comic <laughs> series following yeah. this, this storyline. I would really enjoy that. Intergalactic Barack. That would be so good, dude. <laughs> dude, Thomas, reach out to us. All right, Hushlings, let's get into our final thoughts. Boys, this is a deep one. Declassified, Dave, give us your final thoughts on Project Stargate. Well, in conclusion, this definitely happened. I don't think there's a conspiracy there or any argument that any of these projects happened. Uh, what they were actually doing and why they were doing it might be a subject of question. Clearly, it's to spy on the Russians and vice versa, the Russians spying on us, which propagated this whole thing. But finding an actual physical Stargate is something I did not think about when I was originally thinking about this topic. And viewing on Mars, the Anunnaki, all the Middle East talk, very intriguing to think that this morphed from being psychological warfare to actual physical things happening within the DOD. And it's just very strange. I enjoy this one a lot. It opens up tons of questions. And I really hope everybody else enjoys this one, too. Uh, I will keep it brief. It obviously happened, like Dave said. As far as the results of it, remote viewing, psychics, eh, kind of on the fence with it. I think a lot of it is not verifiable. I think a lot of it is just taking the word of somebody, pretty much. Yeah, they dropped $20 million into the project over time but how much of that was spent looking for physical stargates if that's what it eventually turned into which i really believe that it did especially when we start talking about iraq and we start talking about what the possibilities are of someone accidentally remote viewing some physical thing and the name changes and then all of a sudden it gets into stargate Kind of lines up with what I'm thinking. But yeah, very odd project. If it had nothing to do with physical Stargates, I wonder if it's just some sort of imagery. Yeah, you know, the, the remote viewers are creating Stargates in their minds because they're able to travel to these different places and view these things. That could be it also. Slick Frank Sanders, give us your final thoughts on Project Stargate. Baby. Frog's final thoughts. I'm pretty much in total agreement with your guys' final thoughts. When it comes to the remote viewing aspects of it, I would say it's half horseshit and half controlled opposition. Even when they were able to verify the findings of these remote viewers, it makes me wonder, was that controlled opposition? Were those agents or spies from the USSR? Who knows? Because in giving accurate results when it came to remote viewing you're gaining credibility 
And then when it comes to something that really matters, some actual real dangerous threat, and the CIA is questioning you, the remote viewer, for answers, when you've proved to be correct time and time again, that's when you could say something false, give them false coordinates, give them false information, and really throw them off track when it matters the most. In terms of physical Stargates, I think that's where things really start to heat up. Just like you said, Dave, when you started researching this topic, you didn't expect for it to get physical with actual portals to God knows where. The CIA was probably in the same boat. They probably didn't expect Gondola Wish to lead to some sort of invasion in the Middle East looking for these physical things. And if that did happen, which... I'm convinced that it did. There's tons of reports that the first thing we did when we set foot in the Middle East was raidings on sacred ground, investigations into museums and other ancient sites and the collection of artifacts, things of that nature. And if that's the first thing we did when we got there, who's to say they didn't come across some sort of ancient artifact of a portal maybe left behind by the Anunnaki, the Elohim, some other ancient race of extraterrestrials. It's definitely a fascinating topic, and there's tons of little wormholes that we could go down and get lost in for hours, making it that much more fun to cover. It was a good one. I see what you did there with the wormholes. Yeah, yeah, you like that? Yeah. All right, Hushlings, that is going to do it for our debriefing on Project Stargate. What did you think? Was there anything that we missed? Was there anything that we should have discussed? Did we give you the wrong coordinates to a missile silo? Let us know. Reach out to us. You can always hit us at our email, contact at hushhushsociety.com. And Hushlings, who are patrons or future patrons, in a few days we will be releasing another exclusive debriefing where we dig into the crust and try to find out and examine if dinosaurs were actually real or fake. We spared no expense. And for a peep into the future here on the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour, our next debriefing will be dark. It will be gory. We will be thrashing and slashing around in the subject of Jack the Ripper. It's going to be fun, going to be a little different. Make sure you keep them eyes peeled, your little pepperoni eyelids. Keep watch. Jack the Ripper is one that we've wanted to do since I think our first 10 episodes and we never decided to do it. So it's coming at you like a knife point. Hushlings, thank you again for joining us at the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Missouri Mike. And I'm Slick Frank Sanders. Until our next debriefing, remember, the best kept secrets are hidden in plain sight.